You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Good morning. Hope y'all are dry today. Wonderful time of worship. And if your heart is full, I pray now that God will feed you through his word. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. And we're going to be in the first verse. Now it reads in verse 1 of chapter 18, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you'd please bow your heads with me, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together with the body of Christ, where we can worship through song and glory in your name where we can sing the truths of Scripture and feel joy as we realize that these words resonate with power. Now let us listen intently from your word to hear what it would say to us, that we may put this into practice and become more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the problem with a proverb like this is it's almost like a riddle. Getting to the bottom of it takes a little bit of work. Proverbs are written to be ambiguous for a reason. Now, they're part of Scripture, the genre that we call wisdom literature. And in the book of Proverbs, you have a series of sayings. Sometimes they're grouped together, and sometimes it's just a collection of semi-related statements. But we're focusing in on one verse this morning, and it is a difficult verse to really get a hold of in the original language. I was at lunch this week with Daniel, and uh, Wade was actually across the room with another church member, and when he was done, he came over, and Daniel and I were vigorously discussing, not arguing, discussing what this verse meant. I thought I had a good idea, and then I'm going to preach this verse. And I went to my first commentary, and it went a different direction. Went to the second commentary, different direction. So I thought, well, I'll shelve this one, and I'll preach a different verse. Well, then Wade got involved, and so he started sending commentaries that he had. And when we took all this together, I was going, it can't mean this, and it can't mean that. And Daniel goes, maybe it does. Maybe it's supposed to mean both. Let me kind of back up a minute, and we're going to walk through this together, and I want to show you what we were discussing. In the ESV, it just says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. It sounds very straightforward. That a person, when they get alone, dangerous things can happen. 
they can get some wrong ideas and not really do what's right. The problem with this is in Hebrew, both of these phrases are only six words. So you have this verse right here in your, in your version. It may be a little longer, a little shorter, but it's only six words in Hebrew. And when people who actually know Hebrew, like the commentators, not myself, I, I know how to read it and be dangerous. But the people who study the poetry, who study the grammar, when they read it, they say, you know, this is really confusing. Because in the original language, this first word, what we have actually as the object of the first phrase is desire. And it's not just any desire. Because the Bible translates it in different ways into English from different verses in Hebrew, it can be a desire. It can be a goal. It can be what's called a pretext or, in common terms, an excuse. For example, in the book of Judges, it is translated that way whenever Samuel, or sorry, whenever, not Samuel, Samson says to his parents, go get me a wife from the Philistines. And his parents say, no, you know, son, don't do this. And the, the verse says, but this was from the Lord, for he was seeking a pretext or an occasion against the Philistines. So because of the ambiguity of the word desire, you kind of have to look. It's like a riddle. And then furthermore, the person who is seeking this desire from the verse is the separated one. It, it's, it's a person who's divided off. And because that word is used many ways in Scripture, how a river divides the land or how God divided the nations, you can take it two ways. It can be a person who is isolated. They just didn't watch out and they got separated from the pack. Or it can be a person who doesn't want to be found. Someone who's hiding. Someone who's going, just sneaking away when nobody's looking. And so if you have that much ambiguity in the first three words of the verse, I was wrestling, is this talking about someone who just gets into trouble or someone who's looking for trouble? Of course, Daniel was saying it could be both. Then we get to the second one, the second phrase. And that's a little more straightforward. In English, he breaks out against all sound judgment. That word sound judgment can be used for success in achieving a goal. It can also be used for just a proper, wise, righteous way of living and doing things. But the idea that this person breaks out against success, once again, it's ambiguous. Does it mean that despite their best efforts, they fail? not having the wisdom of other people looking over their shoulder, or a possible translation, an illustration is almost that this breakout means to snarl at people, like a dog rolling its lip back and snarling at somebody. So once again, I was confronted with the question, is this talking about a person who just trips up, falls in a pit, and goes, Lord, help me. I should have listened to people. Or is it someone who, when someone reaches out and tries to help, 
they snap at them. They bite back at them. They want to be left alone so they can get what they want. So as I continued to read this passage, to look at the grammar, I I was back at it. Okay, it's back on the table. We're going to preach that this week. And so as I studied and as I thought about our church, I just came up with a couple of points, a couple of remarks that we want to walk through with this verse. And we want to look at the life of First Baptist Church, Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and we want to see, are we plugged in? Are we where we need to be in God's family? Are we doing what it takes so that we can avoid either way that this verse can read? Are we avoiding the things that we can't see ourselves, and are we avoiding our own tendency to pull away from fellowship and do what we want? So let's walk through this together. Now, if you've uh, looked at our discipleship pathway lately, you know it starts with saved and baptized. We want everybody who comes to our church to be saved, to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, to have a real personal relationship with him, to place their faith in him, to trust that his death on the cross covers all their sins and that they are in the family of God. We also want them to follow up after that with believers' baptism, going under the water, coming out, not in order to be saved, but because they have been saved by the Lord. But the second step, we call that connected and growing. You've seen the little pathway. The second step is connected and growing. So when we talk today, we are in that phase of the discipleship pathway, connected and growing. And what I've titled this sermon as is the necessity of community. If you are a Christian, you have a deep, fundamental need for Christian community. It's not something that's nice if you add it on top of your faith. It's not something that you should do if you really want to be a super Christian. Every Christian finds himself in the body of Christ and needs deep community with one another. So now let's talk about what that looks like. If you will look at your notes, we're going to go through this together. The first blank there says connection is a vital part of being in the church. Connection is a vital part of being in the church. Like our verse says, whoever isolates himself or the one who separated off, We don't want to be that one. And connection is a vital part of being in the church. When we read this verse passively, when we read this proverb passively, remember it was someone who accidentally falls out of community. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe there's just a lot going on at the office and they had to get some hours in on Sunday. Maybe there was sickness in the family. But for whatever reason, this person fell out of regular attendance with the community. This leaves them in a situation where they are isolated, weak, and do not have the wisdom of the body of Christ looking over their shoulders. Remember, life is always going to be difficult. And the things that you most want to get rid of in those moments are oftentimes the things that are the most vital to keeping you functional and safe as a person. We often get busy with work 
and we push our family to the side. We get busy with work and we push our health, exercise, and diet to the side because it's just easier to go grab something through the drive through And just like that, we often push church and Christian community to the side because we'll get to it when the crazy time of the year is over and that crazy time never ends. The second way that we find a necessity of community reading this text is remember, if we read it actively, that the person separating themselves out is actively avoiding the church, this is someone who hides from accountability. Now, we have to watch out for this in our own lives. There are times you will feel like you have a burden that nobody else can understand. Or you will feel like someone just did not get you the right way last Sunday when you were talking to them and that you're kind of mad at them. Or you might just really have something you want to do with your life during that 10.30 to 11.30 time slot, and you'd rather do that for a while than church. If that's the case, you are actively living out the negative side of this proverb. The person who separates themselves out, it's not accidental. It's somebody who is hiding from accountability in the body of Christ. 1 John 2.19 talks about people, and it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. Even in the early church, people separated themselves out because the church interfered with their own goals and their own desires. So if you'll notice in your notes, being isolated... The first point there, being isolated, sets you up for failure. Now remember, this can be a passive or an active isolation, but either way, it is setting you up for failure. Also, being isolated keeps us from success. Do you know what your staff wants for your life? I can say all of us on staff here want for your life, we want you to be successful. We want you to be holy. We want you to be filled with the knowledge and the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. When we say something that you don't like, we're not trying to hurt you. We're trying to help you. When people speak into my life and my first reaction is to draw back and say, I don't have to listen to them. I need to stop and take a reality check. This may be the voice of God through the body of Christ bringing me into accountability so that I don't do something, and the theological term for it is stupid, so that I don't do something that I think is a bright idea, but the Word of God would say, that is foolish. Being isolated lets us live free from accountability. That word free tricks us. We think freedom's good, right? Not always. Oftentimes, our desire is to be free of accountability. We know deep down what we're thinking is not a good idea or a godly idea. But as we walk through our life and try to steer our path away from the voice of wisdom, that freedom that we find is not freedom at all. 
it ends up being chains to our own desires. If you're following along in your notes, you look at the next point, it says, what you blank isn't always good. It's what you want. The underlying assumption of this verse is that what you want is not always good for you. I want you to think about this. The word desire or pretext or excuse in this verse if you were to stop the person doing this action in Proverbs 18, 1 and say, stop, stop just for a minute and you tell me, do you really want to do this? Yeah, I really want to do this. So, okay, but if you do this action, you know it's going to lead to this, right? Do you really want to do that? And then they kind of think for a minute. Well, sure, I, to get this, I'll do that. Okay, well, go with me. Now, where will that action lead you? It'll lead you right here. Now, do you want to do this? Brings up the question when you ask a person, do you want to destroy your family? Do you want to ruin your reputation? Do you want to stain the witness for Christ you have in your community and let everyone who sees you think, well, if that's a Christian, I don't want anything to do with that. Because three or four steps down from any sin our consequences none of us want to deal with. And if we saw them at the beginning, do you want to be enslaved or addicted to that? None of us would answer yes. And so the question is, is what you really want always good? Scripture tells us no. Sometimes what you want is not very good for you. Let's look in the Bible Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Book of James is like wisdom literature from the New Testament. James has a very Proverbs-like way of speaking at times. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he asks a question. He asked the church, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. We'll go, wait a minute, James, you're taking a really quick step here. I want something, I don't get it, so I murder? And he'd say, yeah. Because if you look down all the steps of unaccountable actions, that can be where you get. Just because you went after something you knew God didn't want you to have, but you wanted it anyway. So he continues, you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You can see the downward spiral that happens because of people seeking their own desires apart from accountability. 
You can see this because sometimes we are snared by our desires. Snared. Think back in the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve saw the fruit, Eve saw that it was pleasant, and she desired to be wise. Think of in the book of 1 Samuel, when Israel wanted a king, just like all the other nations had, so they picked Saul. Jeremiah 17 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. And the next verse, or the next phrase, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's weird to think about. You have something inside of you active, trying to sneak, trying to hide, trying to take control of your body, of your faculties, of your members, and turn it for its own benefit. As Paul talks about in Romans 7, sin actively fights against the law of God in your life. To the point where Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Have you ever done something, and when you stood back to admire the mess, you said in your heart, I hate that I have done this. Now, if you could go back and listen to the people who told you not to do it, would you have done it at that point? Just because you want it, and I have to say this very carefully in our culture, because You'll always hear, follow your heart, follow your desires. If you think it, it's you. If you want to be it, you can become that. But just because you want it, even deeply, that is no sign that it is from God. And Christian accountability protects us from that very wellspring in our nature, that, that remaining corruption within us that longs to break out and take control of our members. Accountability protects us. Accountability preserves us as other people are looking out for our interests as well. I want you to think about the body of Christ real quick. What a blessing we have to be in the body of Christ. I want to read some things from the New Testament. Just listen. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to what the apostles say that happens when we meet together. Are you ready? In Romans 1, Paul's talking to the Roman church and he says, I want to go see you to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul the apostle, one of the greatest Christians to ever live, thought he could go visit the Roman church. Now the Roman church, they couldn't understand justification by faith very well. They couldn't understand sanctification very well. And they couldn't understand how to live as Christians in the Roman world very well. But Paul still thought that if I go worship with them, their faith is going to build me up and my faith is going to build them up. You in this room can build up the faith of apostles because you are the body of Christ and that is how he designed it to work. 
Here's another verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's talking about, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Talking about in the church. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you know that you're so connected to the body of Christ across the world that if one member suffers, you are connected to them? Spiritually, there are times that God will put you through something so that you can actually go through what they're going through to remember to pray for them. We are connected in both our sufferings and our triumphs. Hebrews 10.24 tells the church to not neglect to meet together but encourage one another. It's so important that the author of Hebrews commands them, y'all make sure you keep people from falling away from meeting together. And also in 1 Corinthians 5, this is a big one. This, this one almost sounds mystical. But he's talking about the assembled church in Corinth. Remember, Corinth had some problems. They had some weird stuff going on. But even that church, listen to what Paul says. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. And then he gives them commands. Wait a minute. Paul's spirit is present And the power of the Lord Jesus is present even when that Corinthian church met together. Like Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'm with you. When we meet together, there are benefits you get as a Christian just for sitting in the room. Even if the sermon's bad, my apologies. Even if the music is not what you want. Even if the temperature is not set correctly. Even if something doesn't go right, the spirit of all Christians is linked together with the Holy Spirit in this union, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. You get that just as fringe benefits for being part of the body of Christ. So think about this. When you have that desire to pull away from those benefits, where does it come from? Not from the Holy One. Not from God. Not from anything good that we want to follow. Let's look at my last point. Your motives and actions will eventually be exposed. The the tendency of all sin ever since the beginning is to hide. You remember the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they sinned, they covered themselves and they hid from the Lord. The tendency of sin is to hide. Whether it's through shame, whether it's to hide the ramifications of our actions, we don't want accountability. We want to stay anonymous, hidden, and isolated. But eventually, it will be exposed. Now, this can happen in a good way or a bad way. In a good way, in community, this exposure 
can lead to repentance. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? God knows. God knows your thoughts. He knows the thoughts that you don't even want to come into your mind. The ones you keep trying to push out. He knows all of that. You're not going to hide anything from him. When we talk about accountability, people get scared because they think they'll have to tell every single thing they ever did. That's not accountability. Accountability doesn't mean you have no decency. Accountability doesn't mean you have to say every time that you stubbed your toe and said something you shouldn't. God sees what happens when that couch catches you, but you don't have to tell about every little thing you do. What accountability is, is opening your life up to other Christians and saying, listen, I'm trying my best. There's some bruises on this apple. But if you see something that I exhibit in my life that you don't think pleases the Lord, tell me and help me to work on it. Pray for me. Give me a verse that maybe will help me get over it. And I'll do the same for you. When that type of exposure happens, when someone says, you know, Josh, I've been watching, and I just think that this is something I really think that you need to meditate on and, and the Lord wants to work on in your life. You know, the response, oh, no, my sin is exposed. I'm undone. That, that's not what happens. In the body of Christ, there is grace and mercy. That person will say, now, I'm not free from sin, and I'm not perfect, and, and I'm not going to go tell people about this, but I'm just going to pray for you. And if you ever want to talk about it or pray about it, I'm here for you. And so the goal of that type of accountability is that you see something you didn't see, and you repent of it. You begin to work against it in your life, and you begin to walk in a different way and fight against those active tendencies. In community, that type of exposure can lead to repentance. Repentance. You know, you don't just repent at the beginning of your Christian life. The entire Christian life is one series of repentances after another. 1 Corinthians, again, there's a lot about the body in that book. And this is in 1425 where it talks about in the body of Christ, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That type of exposure can happen in here. And it's a good thing. Jude verse 23 talks about saving others, snatching them out of the fire. When you see somebody, you go, that is dangerous and you're going to get burnt. You snatch them out of the fire through accountability. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you remember the follow-up letter to the first one, there was a man who was committing an egregious sin in 1 Corinthians, and Paul said, excommunicate him and treat him like a non-believer. And the man got treated that way, and he repented. And so in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul expresses the comfort that even the workers in the ministry in another city had because one person repented of a public sin in the Corinthian church. It's never easy to go through exposure. It's not pleasant. But repentance can heal you and the body around you. There is another type 
of exposure that can happen. And that's in isolation. In isolation, the exposure of sin can lead to ruin. In isolation, it can lead to ruin. Like I said from Proverbs 18.1, that word break out, some of the word pictures from it is a dog snarling. Do any of you want to be caught snarling over a scrap? A rotten piece of garbage that you found in the trash can like a dog? And your master comes up and says, you don't need to eat that rotten thing. I've got Alpo and kibbles and bits in the pantry. And you snarl at him. Do you want to be caught snarling? Do you want to break out against success? Do you want to fall into utter ruin both in reputation, spiritually, and in your reputation socially? Where the church says they confessed Christ, but just pray for them. And where the people around you say, I, I can't trust anything that person says anymore. Look at what they're doing. Because you've heard the old saying, sin will take you much farther than you ever want to go with it. Would you rather your sin be exposed before God as you confess to Him privately, as you even enlist other people to help you with accountability, and as you show up here every week singing the same songs we do about I need the Lord every week? Because if I miss a week, two weeks, three weeks, I can tell. You can tell. We can all tell when we miss. Confession is good for the soul. Psalm 32, 3 through 5. David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want to feel that clarity when you know the Lord has forgiven you of your sins? Do not isolate yourself. Do not draw back from the body of Christ. So in closing, how do we avoid isolation? By being a part of a local church. Well, there's a couple of ways that I can think of you can do this here. There are many opportunities. We have ministries. Find a ministry you like, a team serving the Lord together. A lot of these ministries, as they work together, they share together, they hold each other up. Join a D group. That is a very good way for accountability to happen in your life. Join a Bible study. If you don't have a Bible study, there are tons of good ones here. Join a Bible study. 
It's like joining a family. Make friends up here. Play in the praise band. Sing in the choir. Come meet with our staff if there's anything going on. We'll talk with you. We will pray with you about issues. Because of the invisible spiritual connections we have in the body of Christ, nobody in this church should fight sin alone. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.